How do you protect and respect your talent? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. It's so great to be back with you guys. My name's Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And today's episode and discussion that I want to have with you is a little bit of a follow-up to last week's episode that I did. This is what it feels like to do the work. In that episode, and if you haven't listened to it yet, it's probably worth going back and having a listen to it. It was a really good, powerful episode. But when I um, put that episode out, it was a letter that a former client of mine had written to me, sort of reflecting about the work that we had done together over a number of years. When I put that episode out, I sort of just thought of it as a warm fuzzy for people that it would really push and challenge people to think about, first of all, what they're considering to be problems and obstacles in their life and maybe, you know, get out of their own way a little bit, but also too, just a feel good story of an overcomer, somebody who battled like really tough things in life and came out of it on the other side and built a life for herself. That episode has taken on a life of its own. It has like three times the listens of my average episodes that are, you know, that I normally get. And the letters and the comments are starting to come in about it. And one of the things that's been like the most unexpected surprise is that the client who wrote to me, and I didn't know this at the time, is still in touch with other old clients of mine. I had been um, a manager in a residential program for adolescent girls. So a lot of the girls knew each other. And apparently after all this time, because we're going back like 15 years or so at this point, some of the girls still kept in touch. So I ended up getting letters from other old clients of mine in response to that episode. And I was also, you know, as a result, um, I heard from a couple of old colleagues of mine who I used to work with during that time, commenting on the letter and all of that. And one of the things that kept coming up was this theme that I was really good at that job. It was intense work in the mental health field. I was basically working with kids who are either should have been psychiatrically hospitalized or in jail. And the idea was that we were going to try residential treatment, meaning they live full time in the program, to teach them better ways of managing their thoughts and their feelings rather than the acting out behaviors that they had been choosing. That was the core of our work. So it was really hard, intense work. We were working with suicidal behavior. We were working with assaultive youth. We were working with fire setters, people who had, you know, sort of created really scary situations in their homes and in their communities for other people and created scary situations for themselves. It was really tough work. And here's the thing, guys. I was really good at it. Really really good at it. I had an incredible talent. I'm not particularly religious or spiritual at times. You've certainly never heard me talk about such things on the show before, but there were definitely moments in that work with kids where I felt like there was something bigger than me at play. That 
I, you know, it was, it was something, it was just something bigger than me. I don't even know how to describe it, but that I knew I was good. I knew I was needed. I knew I was necessary and I knew I made a difference. And I burnt out of that job too. Just like you've heard me talk about my brick and mortar private therapy practice. I burnt out of doing that really intense mental health work. And I found myself commenting about this to a friend of mine when we were talking about last week's episode and how powerful it was. And I said, I was 22 years old with tons of talent, tons of God-given natural innate insight and talent. And nobody taught me how to balance it. Nobody taught me how to take care of it, how to protect it, how to nurture it, how to keep it in check for the long game, how to think of my talent, my insight, my ability to connect with the hardest to reach kids, the kids that the rest of the world would prefer to give up on and forget existed. I was capable of reaching those kids and changing their minds and changing their lives. And I only got to do it for 10 years because I never learned and nobody ever taught me or even really encouraged me to have a life outside of that job. I loved that job. I was obsessed with that job. So when I tell you I didn't have a life, you're not hearing any complaints. I call them my glory days. It was probably on a lot of levels the best 10 years of my life. But I just burnt myself out to a crisp. And nobody said or saw like, hey, you're really good at this and you're really young. If you still want to be doing this in your 40s, you have to do things differently now. And I was thinking about how, you know, just looking back on that, and I am not looking back on that time and the fact that I no longer do it with regret. I absolutely believe that I'm where I'm meant to be. But I also remember a moment that still, when I think about it, shakes me to my core and just stops me in my tracks. And it's when I was leaving and I was telling people that I was going to start a private practice, somebody looked at me dead in the eye and said, so Heather, who's going to help the kids now? Like without you, who? And I remember thinking at the time, like, how dare you? Like, how dare you put the world's, you know, future of kids on my shoulders? I am like, you know, I barely touched 30 at this point. Like, who do you, who do you think you are to put this burden on me? But at the end of the day, when I do look back on it, I was really good at that. I, I definitely had a talent that not everybody had. And I could, I got to the point where I couldn't do the work anymore. And I was thinking about how that happens too to people who are running businesses. How many people we talk about because we we worship them and we put them in the spotlight, the people who are in the grind and doing the hustle and working, you know, like, (coughs) excuse me working in the evenings for like, um, you know, like they're getting home from their day jobs at six or seven o'clock at night, and they're working on their computers for their new business until midnight, getting up at five o'clock, doing the whole darn thing over again, and just grinding it out and hustling it out and working, working, pushing, pushing. And I realized that I always have this conversation in terms of burnout. 
that I always say, hey, don't do that. Hey, careful, careful, danger, warning sign, stop, pay attention, because I don't want you to burn out like I did. But I also realized through the course of the conversations I was having with people, the number of times people said it's so unfortunate that you're not doing that work anymore, that I never protected the talent. I'm using it really well. I'd like to think I'm using it on this show every day, talking to you all, having these conversations, doing this work in the private coaching groups that I do and with my one-on-one clients. But there's no mistaking the fact that like I am working with first world problems now. Like no offense to anybody currently coming to me, but if you're coming to me and you're listening to this show, you know I'm right. (laughs) Like you know we're talking about the first world problems. Oh, excuse me. You guys have been spared episodes of coughing before. But here's the thing is that I didn't protect the talent, my ability to work with the really hard stuff. And I think that business owners, when they're starting up, they are running that same risk for themselves every day because what we worship and what we idolize is just working yourself to the bone, getting in as many hours as possible, prioritizing productivity and efficiency above all else. And when I was thinking about what would I tell my younger self, my 22-year-old self who had just tons of talent, but not a clue how to rein it in, curb it in, protect it and nurture it? What would I tell her? And what could I tell you? Because if you're building a business, you are building it on a talent. If you were building a life, you are building it on a dream and on a vision of potential of what your life can be. And you cannot toss it away. You can't undermine it. And you can't work it to death. But what can you do? And what does balance look like? No one had the insight to tell me this. So when I stopped and thought about it over the weekend in preparation of talking to you guys, I broke it down to a couple of things. And the first thing is you have to be able to acknowledge and own that you have the talent. I think that scares the crap out of people. I think it's so much easier to sit in imposter syndrome and tell yourself, you know what? I don't know that I'm that good. There's all these other people who could just do it so much better than me. I don't know why I belong here. Rather than really sitting and owning your truth that you're effing good at it that you are really great at what you do. Because here's the thing, if you own your like awesomeness, if you own your superhuman superpower, if you own your talent and acknowledge it with yourself, that is so incredibly vulnerable. Because as soon as you put yourself on that pedestal, you absolutely positively know there's somebody coming to knock you down. And it's so easy to just be like, I didn't think I was that good. Or, oh, there's people better than me. Oh, you know, but here's what I know. I left that agency and two years later, I got a phone call and it was somebody who said, Heather, we have a kid. And we don't know what the heck is going on with her. We were sitting in a meeting and everybody said, this is Heather's kid. Heather would know what to do with this kid. Would you come and would you spend a day? Would you look her over? Would you talk to her, get to know her, talk to the staff and give us your two cents? 
I had to know and own and see that I had that talent. Because if I didn't, I first of all, I run the risk of not ever using it again. And I do as much as I don't work with the severely mentally ill anymore, as much as I, you know, work with people in a different place in life and their emotional baggage is more packed, but I do still use my talent. And if I didn't ever acknowledge I had it, I would have run away from it entirely. And yes, that means somebody's going to listen to this show and be like, I worked with Heather. She was egotistical as anything. Like, she's not that great. Or, you know, usually what the criticism was is I was always known for going rogue. Um, I always colored a little bit outside the lines. I always kind of charted my own path and did things my own way. So that would often, you know, interrupt teamwork. But at the core of it, I knew I was good with kids and I knew that that could translate into my work with adults. And then later again, when I reinvented myself another time, it could translate into my work with business owners and leaders. But you have to be able to own it because if you don't own it, you're constantly running from it or you're looking for external proof and validation from other people that you're good at what you do. And what sucks about that is if you believe the praise of other people. So if you do a really good job and someone says, hey, you did a good job, that also means you're at, you run the risk of listening and leaning on and believing the criticism. But if you can own your talent, and I'm not saying you have to believe you're the absolute best, because the reality is, as I was working at that agency, I left at year 10, but there were people who had been there for 20 years. Obviously, they were better at it than me. They had more experience. They had seen more and done more with themselves. So I'm not saying that to own your talent, you have to say you're positively the best at it, nobody better. You don't have to bring ego involved, but you do have to know you're good at it. Because first of all, it protects you against that vulnerability. Somebody can try to knock you down, but you will know what you know. You will know what you offer. You will know where your value and worth is. And you will know what you're able to create and what you're able to assist in transformation. It's crucial for our self-esteem and for our self-respect that we own and value our talent. That also means to knock it off with the self-deprecating comments about it to say, oh, I just kind of put this little thing together and it's not really big. It's not that big of a deal. And somebody, one of my early listeners, Listeners to my show called me out on that, like within the first month of me doing the show. We're at like, I think we're almost close to 100. We're sort of narrowing in on 180 episodes here in the show. But within the first 30 episodes, somebody was saying, you apologize all the time. You're saying, oh, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I know my audio is not good. Stop apologizing. And it's the same challenge that I want to offer to you that when you make self-deprecating comments, when you say out loud, I'm not that good or someone else could have done it better or it's not my best work or I know it needs some work, you are shooting yourself down. You're disrespecting your talent and then it makes it impossible to sell it. It makes it impossible to put it in the spotlight because you have spent all this time and energy knocking yourself down needlessly a peg or two. So look at what you're good at and be unafraid and unapologetic in owning it. How you communicate your knowledge of the talent, you get to decide. And I know that 
part of that job, part of the intensity of working in that environment. And you heard my former client talk about the scenarios she put me in. And those were pretty mild scenarios compared to some others I found. Like I know that part of how I puffed myself up, part of how I managed my fear and anxiety in the moment was I inflated my sense of self and inflated my sense of talent. But I never respected it. I never looked at it as something I had to carefully keep and protect and value. Um, So you don't have to puff yourself up. You don't have to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side because I promise you that created a lot of messes for me that I needed to clean up and communicate to people and clarify misunderstandings. But to simply know and internally know that you're good that you have talent and you are not going to disrespect it by diminishing it, minimizing it, blowing it off or otherwise ignoring it. That is crucial, crucial to protecting it and respecting it. It's step one. The next thing you need to think about is this idea that I said earlier. This is a marathon and not a race. And when I was 22, oh my gosh, guys, I was full of piss and vinegar. I had, like I'd finally gotten my master's degree. I was finally done school. Um, and I was 22 with a master's degree who had no business doing any master's level work. Because as you know, at 22, your first job should be to go get yourself some experience, right? But I just loved what I did. I I just, I loved the kids. I loved working on a team. I loved the energy. I loved the hours. It was like a crazy story stupid schedule of second shift, which always makes me laugh now because it would kick my ass now. But I'd like work four to 11 at night and then be in the next day and work the seven to four shift in the morning. Um, and I was just, I was balls to the wall with it, right? Like super intense. But the problem is, is that was sprint training. That was looking at my career and my work as like a sprint race where it was going to be a quick beginning, middle and end. You got a plan for a marathon. When you're building a business, when you're building a life, you have to think about the long game. You have to make sure that the hours you're working, the time you're putting into your talent respects your talent. Because think about it, right? I'm going to talk about an example that I learned from Tom Brady, the football for, uh, uh, um, football quarterback for New England Patriots in a little bit. But, you know, in order to get to his level of fame, in order to get to his level of success, his level of performance, he has to put in tons and tons of hours of training, of practice, starting at like, you know, elementary school all the way to his 40s now. He's putting in the time. So I'm not saying that like, when you're marathon training and you're looking at the hours and you're respecting it, that like long hours are not going to be required. I absolutely believe long hours are going to be required. But you also, in that, have to think about how you're caring for yourself in other ways if you're giving up that many hours. I mean, at some points I was working 70 hours a week and that was not necessary for the situation. I just had such an easy time at the time saying yes to overtime shifts. I thought nothing of working seven to four in the after, like seven in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon, picking up the four to 11 and then coming in the next day and doing another double. 
thought nothing of it. And there were absolutely periods of time when I like got caught practically doing the overnight shift and still coming in the next day to work. And that wasn't necessary. And that was not protecting the talent. It was disrespecting the talent. It was not thinking about the long game. So when you think about the hours you're putting in, you really have to look at, are these hours necessary for where I want to go? Am I spending this time in the best, most efficient way possible? Because if you're not, then you're not thinking about your business or your life in the long game. You're sprinting it. And anybody can go that intensely, that push that hard for short spurts of time. But you burn out and you run out of gas and you run out of air. If you want to respect your talent, if you want to be in it for the long game, you have to pay attention to the hours and be willing to put limits on it because if and I and you know what and I almost can hear you arguing back with me because I know that I would argue back with people when my family and my friends would be like we never see you we never see you I'd be like it's fine I love it I'm making you know I was not making good money but I was making more money because I was doing all the overnight shifts And because it felt like such an easy give, because it didn't feel that hard, it didn't feel like a sacrifice, I didn't pay attention until I was fried beyond belief and felt like I couldn't do it anymore. So you want to think about like when you're looking at the time you're putting in, is this marathon training or am I sprinting? And sometimes in life and business, we're going to have to sprint. We're going to have to go like nose to the grindstone and really pull one out. But if you are asking yourself this regularly, recognizing that after a sprint, you're going to need to stop and get some air. You're going to need to fill up the gas tank. You're going to have to nurture this and take care of yourself for the long game. I think you're far better off Because it's hard in the moment when you're really enjoying yourself, when it's just going so good to put the brakes on it. But again, I'm encouraging you to look at the long game. Nobody else did that for me. Nobody said, hey, Heather, we would really love it if you were still working for us in 10 years. So as much as we love that you want to, you know, work your third overtime shift this week, we're going to ask that you not. Instead, people just kind of took advantage of my passion. People took advantage of my interest, took me for all I had. And there's not a limitless supply of energy. It just doesn't work that way. The next thing, you know, and I was just talking about this, I heard an interview over the weekend, um, Oprah Winfrey on her um, Sunday Soul Conversations. She has a podcast. I know she does it as a TV show on her channel too, but she did a two-part interview um, a week or two ago with Tom Brady. And he had this line with her where he said, my body is my greatest asset. And what he was talking about is that he needs to take care of his body in order to be able to play football for as long as he wants to play football, that he has to take care of it because that's where his talent is. And as soon as his body breaks down, he can't play at the level he wants to play at and he can't take, he can't do the thing that he loves. And I was thinking about that and I was like, you know what, my insight, my understanding of people, my ability to connect relational situations for people, my ability to give people words in the impossible to find words situation is my greatest asset. 
and I don't protect it. Not then anyway, I protect it way better now. So I probably to speak more accurately, um, I didn't protect it. I do a much better job now. But at the time going back like 15 years or so now, like I did a lousy job. I just gave it away. I, I didn't even, you know, I remember like somebody saying like, if you keep saying yes to these shifts, if you keep saying yes to picking up these shifts, like they're not even going to try to fill them because they just know you're going to fill them. I did nothing to protect my talent. I did nothing to nurture it or treat it like my greatest asset. I really treated it like it was expendable. And I want you to think about how you treat your talent or your drive in your personal life. If you're thinking that it's just always going to be this good and it's always going to just flow this easily and come to you this naturally, like you have another thing coming and that wake up call could break your heart. But if you can think about this as an asset, that thing that you're consulting on. So many of the people who write to me and listen to this show are coaches and consultants of some sort. And they're solopreneurs running their own independent businesses. If you think about the skill set you have, are you treating it like an asset? like an investment that needs your time, your attention to check in on, to nurture, to care for, or are you simply taking it for granted and thinking that what is right now, you'll always have, that you'll always love it this much, that it'll always be this easy to give, that you could never possibly burn out from this thing that is lighting you up so much. If somebody had told me and told my younger self, I started that job when I was 22. So if somebody even halfway through, I worked there for 10 years. So five years in, if somebody had said at the five year mark, Hey, Heather, come on over here for a second. I want you to know that 15 years from now, you're not even going to work with kids anymore. I would have told them they were on crack. I could not see a world beyond the work I was doing. I didn't like, I thought I was going to be a lifer. The program that I worked at had like seven different homes. I thought I, at some point I'd be on the ladder supervising all seven of the homes. And, and none of that happened. None of that happened. And it didn't happen because nobody pulled me aside and said, hey, precious cargo here, like take care of it, give it oxygen, pay attention to it, let it fuel you a little bit. But don't forget to hit the pause button to take care of it. Rather, I just like I used it all up. The other thing I want you to think about, and I was thinking about musical artists and people who have singing talent and music, you know, musical talent and different things and how as soon as they get famous, as soon as they become known, they get agents and managers and producers and suddenly people are telling them, this is the sound that's really popular right now. This is the thing that's attracting the younger crowd who's buying the songs and tunes on iTunes. This is what people need to hear. And they run and they direct that talent towards what they think will be the most marketable, not what lights the performer up, not what the person went into business for in the first place, just what will sell. 
And I was thinking how often when we're so desperate to start a new business, when we're so craving the lifestyle freedom and the time freedom and all of that, that we want, that we are willing to bend and crack and break our talent, the God-given things that we've got going for us, the the gifts, whatever you want to call it. I, again, I've never sounded this spiritual before. And, uh, you know, but like this idea that like we do have natural gifts and talents, however we get them. Um, and we have to, we have to respect them and we have to recognize that like they have value and we get to decide how they get to be used. And so often in business, people will say, well, just you have this really great idea and I know you like to write, but video is where it's at these days. So you really need to get on Facebook live. You really need to be on YouTube live. You need to do Instagram stories. You need to do this. You need to do that rather than is this how I want to use my talent? I remember when I first started writing blogs and you know, those of you who know, I, now that I do a podcast, I can't even remember the last time I wrote an article. I think we're like close to a year since I've written a blog post, but um, I was doing an advice column for relationships um, for a larger media site. And it was so, <laughs> it was so dumb. Like there's no, there's really no other way to describe it. It was so dumb, so inconsequential, so unimportant. But somebody said to me that the relationship articles are the articles that get the most views, that get the most likes and shares. And if I want people to see my work, I should, you know, do a relationship advice column. And I just remember like at some point in time that it starts with feeling like all puffed up all over again, right? Because my relationship articles were getting like a million page views and were super popular. But they had nothing to do with what I was doing. They had nothing to do with business consultation. They had nothing to do with brand building. It made absolutely no sense. The The likes and the shares were vanity metrics, but had nothing to do with who I was. And it was fine that I was good at being Dear Abby. You guys have listened to me on the show. You know I'm pretty good at Dear Other. But it made no sense. And so when you think about how you're putting your talent out at the world, the core of what you're offering in your business, business, the core of what makes you great, what makes you different, what makes you better. Are you using it in the way that you want to use it? Are you highlighting it in the way you want it to be highlighted? Are you putting it out there in the way that you want people to know, see, and appreciate it? Because if you're tailor-made packaging it for people on base, what you think they want to hear or what you think the current trend is, you're going to like lose the talent. It's going to become unrecognizable to you. You don't want to lose its core, its integrity, the thing that like makes you light up about it. And you have to make darn sure that you're not just giving it away. It's so easy to do that, to think that like, I have to think of the long game. So if people really want to hear this in this certain way, I have to turn myself into a pretzel and make it happen. And we tell ourselves all kinds of stories with each single compromise we make. But at the end of the day, we're becoming shadows of ourselves in a way. And our talent is becoming a shadow of its glory days of what it's really capable of being. And you want to do 
a gut check on that. Like, am I doing this the way that's true to me, that's consistent with who I am and how I move through the world and how I show up? And if not, do not be afraid to reroute. Do not be afraid to turn back around and go back because marathon, not a race. We want your business to last for the long game. We want your energy level to last for the long game. We want this to last. In order to do that, we have to ensure it's success. We have to set it up for success and we have to make sure it's being used in the best possible way and remains in the best possible light. The next thing I really want to think about here is do you see your talent as limitless or have you already predetermined how far it's capable of going? And that's one of the things that I don't think I, I don't know how to say it, but I, I think that there is a part of me that always knew I was good at this, that always knew from when I was really young, that my insight was my greatest gift. And I, you know, there were just so many signs of it that I was willing to look at and see and absorb. But I do think that I told myself a story that when I left that really intense job, that I would never make that kind of difference again. And I found myself repeating the story when I then like moved to the brick and mortar and then subsequently left my brick and mortar therapy practice that I really did get lit up talking to action takers, talking to people who just needed a quick reboot, a quick reframe, and then they were off to the races and would be good. And I told myself a story. Well, you know, I was a good therapist for a while. I used those skills for good. I have to accept that I'm just not going to make that kind of difference anymore. And there's I there's these this pattern that I'm seeing as I look back and as I think about it that I'm consistently putting limits on how great I can be, how big I can be, how much of a difference I can make. And if we keep doing that, if I keep doing that, first of all, I'm ignoring all of the letters and the feedback that I'm getting from people. The fact that people do want my two cents on things, the fact that people do think that running their businesses and changing their lives is easier because I show up every day on the mic and do this show and help people in my one-on-one work and consult with the group. So, you know, that's, that's the first thing. But I also too, like, we can't put a cap on it. And I want you to do a gut check and see if you've put a cap on your talent, if you've decided how far you think it's going to take you, how far you're going to be able to go. And then, you know, it'll be time to, you know, call, you know, (laughs) put the cards on the table and collect your chips and move on. Because what I'm learning is as I hear myself say, I was in that residential program and I worked there for 10 years and I owned my own business for 10 years and now I'm in my third year of my online business is that our potential is limitless because just like if somebody had pulled me aside when I was 27 or so and said hey P.S. you're never going to work with kids again like you may help kids from time to time you may consult on a kid from time to time but kids are never again going to be your primary um, you know population that you're helping with and people Yes, like you're not even going to be accepting insurance. You're going to be in the private pay market, all of that. I never would have believed them. 
And even though I don't do that intense work anymore, the work that I am doing today, I absolutely believe has value. And if I think my best days and I, you know, I caught myself over the weekend, I called them my glory days, right? And I think we all have that. Like we all have our magical period of time where everything was just awesome, amazing and perfect and special. But if I use that and I use that glory days phrase to imply in any way that my best days are behind me, my best work that I've done for people has already happened, I'm never going to make that kind of difference again. I'm missing out on opportunities to motivate and inspire people on a larger scale. The teaching people to fish versus giving them the fish mentality. That in this new role, I had the ability to give my old client a moment in the sun. That she got all of these people connected to her message, (laughs) definitely connected to her sass, (laughs) Um, and connected to her heart. And I got to do that because I reinvented myself. I used my talent in a way that if somebody had said I would have a daily advice show um, back and told that 27-year-old, I would never have believed it. Like, it would have just been bonkers. And I remember the first time, it was actually another old client of mine in my brick and mortar who introduced me to podcasting. And I was like, podcasting? Like, isn't that like what the nerds and the geeks do? Like, I don't think I'm into podcasting. And then I got hooked on cereal and it was all over from there. And then, you know, like, it's like, what, a year later, um, you know, after that conversation, I'm telling him that I'm posting my own show now. So no limits. It keeps changing. My talent keeps being redefined. But if I keep doing this pattern that I'm noticing where, well, this is it, or, you know, my show gets X number of listens, and this is about as good as it's going to get, I am constantly curbing my potential. I know that on some level, we don't know what we don't know, right? That's part of why that happens is like back in 27. I know I like when I was 27, I had no idea what a podcast was. I don't even know if they had been invented or if they were just in the, you know, the secret archives somewhere. But I, you don't know what's possible, but you have to be open to the idea that more is possible, that you haven't reached the ending yet. Because we're still in the marathon. I am still in the marathon. You're still in the marathon. I haven't finished just because I have this show or because I have this successful business. I'm still going. I'm still taking care of and honoring my talent, honoring my insight, and hoping that it lasts me for another 10, 20 years in a variety of professional circumstances and opportunities that I probably can't even imagine or perceive yet. And that's what your challenge is, to acknowledge and own that you have a talent, to make sure that you're respecting it, to make sure you're taking care of it as if it's your greatest asset, managing it like it's a marathon and not a race, and making sure you don't predetermine the ending, making sure that you allow the potential for your talent to be limitless. 
Thanks so much for joining me today. This was a really good conversation to have. I'm so excited to be back with you this week. I'm looking forward to more conversations to come. If you have a question that you'd like my two cents on, find me over at heather at choosetohaveitall.com. I look forward to talking to you there. If you want to get your binge on with this podcast, I have a little binge list for bosses that I put together. It's my top 10 favorite episodes. You can find that over at Choose to have it all.com forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.